This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are looking for therapy and not able to get something right away locally, you can do that with them. Within 48 hours, you can find a therapist to get on telehealth with you. I mean, it's I haven't heard anything but great things from people that have already done it that watch my show or listen to my show. If you're looking to get 10% off your first month, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash MJ's PNP MCA. That is betterhelp.com slash MJ's PNP MCA. And I took a handful of Xanax, passed out in the bathroom. They had to remove the door, take me to the hospital. But I remember the conversation that I had in the bathroom by myself. And I was just like, you know, F you God, like, why did you bring me into this world? Like, who, who brings a kid into this world for this kind of life, you know? And I really just wanted to, to die. Um, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having so, me. So, I saw you on TikTok originally, a lot of, you know, recovery stuff. Now, what's your, what's your sober date? Mine is March 27th, 2016. Okay, so you're going up, up on six years. Yeah, next month. Next month, six years. Years. Congrats. Thank you. Um, what was going on for you, for you, March 2016, to where you decided to to find recovery this time? Uh, I didn't have recovery prior to working in treatment. Actually, I didn't know about AA, NA, detox, anything. Um, I started using really young. And it kind of just progressed and spiraled. And it wasn't until I got pregnant with my oldest son that I just cold turkeyed it, like in a trap house. Didn't know about Suboxone or methadone or detox. I knew nothing. I was 17. Um, all my family were actively addicts. I didn't hear about them, you know, going to a clinic or to detox. So I just thought, you know, this is what I have to do. Um, I grew up in foster care and I didn't want that for my son. So I stopped everything and I had like a horrible pregnancy with him but looking back I'm like was it severe all-day sickness or was I kicking you know what I mean or was it both (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Uh, so for me it was like the only thing from the time that I was the time I first tried to get clean at 17 until 24 was being pregnant (laughs) Okay, so the first time I tried to get clean when when you were 17 in the trap house. Yeah. Well, you were 17 in the trap house, right? Um, but when you actually did find sobriety, you were you were 24. Right. Seven years, years later. So what, how how old are you now? Now six I'm, years years later. You're 30. 30. Okay, I'm I'm trying to keep on the clock. And, and you're always out in California, or where did you find sobriety in California? It was in California. Okay. Um, well, well, as you know, in treatment California, a lot, a lot of people are in implants in California to go go there for tre- treatment and then stay. You know, right. like I just literally had um, you know, another TikTok creator, Abby, on re- recently, and she's from Pittsburgh, but, but she got sober in California and stayed for like a year working in treatment. I almost stayed. I got I got sober in city, and I almost ended up with a job working in treatment. I feel I feel like if you do good in rehab. Then they're just like, we'll give you a job and we'll keep you working right. because we want you to be positive in our community. We want you to be positive coming in to show that you can, you can stick around. So I feel like 
you get jobs easier, like like yeah. to you if you stick around long in those kind of treatments. They want you to have you to have term sobriety inside Absolutely. their treatment. Are you did you did you stick out like so that's what I mean. Are you in Southern California? Or are you in yeah. what part of California? I'm in Southern California. Okay. Now, now are you close by to where I was. We, we can t- take it out. So I'm just curious if we know anybody in treatment because I know okay. so many people in, in treatment work in treatment in LA. I've even been on my show. I have uh, sober livings in LA, so I, I I know most of the recovery community out there. Okay. My, yeah, my sober living was unique in LA in that it was only only one in the country that allowed cannabis. Oh wow! There's a lot um, of popped up recently. Yeah, mine was high city. Was an eight. Um, it was in Culver City, and I think okay. they're shut. I think they're down now because like. I'm getting phone calls from random debt collectors, and they don't know what high super. So, like, I think they've sold my debt at all, and they're just not <laughs> there anymore. Um, but the sober livings in LA is kind of weird, and even treatment in LA is a lot different because you don't even know that it's a treatment center because it looks like a house most of the time right. inside neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the neighbors would have no idea that this is a reason inside unless, like, you do just know because, Perfect. like psychosis running around <laughs> that's questions yeah that's it. we did have a couple of them it's, it's you know I, I i wasn't big meth meth wasn't was my thing and then i met so many people in la rehab <laughs> it was like a 50 it was like 40 40 split 40 opiates 40 meth and then 20 percent alcohol <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was definitely that kind of ratio split. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was that your drug choice, meth? Yeah, meth and pills, cocaine and alcohol. I mean, I kind of. And really. Yeah, I wasn't like, I wasn't picky. I was pickier about my food than I was about my drugs or what I was gonna do that day. <laughs> so I'm, I, I've been told I'm picky about my food too. So I still get made fun of that at 35. Yeah. Um, now, so. If you're growing up in foster care, where you like like moved around a lot, or did you have the same parents, parents, like you know, you know, because I had a girl on the show, she, she grew up in foster care, but she had a great, great experience in foster care, where she, you know, her dad was was her dad, and her mom was her mom, her mom, and you know, she had like they had a great, great kind of relationship, and they they still do. So, but that wasn't your experience. Um, partially, yes, I um. When I was first taken, I was three, and it was my little brother and sister, and they were about 18 months. Um, and we went to a place called Casa Pacifica, which was where kids went when they didn't have, when they weren't placed with foster homes or group homes yet, and uh, couldn't be with their parents. So we went there for a little while, and we were like a complete shit show. You know, we make I make the joke with them now that whoever did our assessment, it must have been like 4:45 because our descriptions were like. I was animalistic, my little sister was emaciated, and he wrote down that my brother was mentally retarded. And it was just like, you spent like 10 minutes with us, you know? Um, <laughs> you're, you're animalistic and you're, you're four, and you've been taken from, like... like I was what? three, yeah. You were, because, yeah, you were three, like that, that's... Yeah. that's uh, that's such a crazy description to give somebody that's that's three years old that you spent ten minutes minutes with, and this is how you're gonna like label label them, like a three year old year old just like going through a traumatic event. Yeah, and my no. little girl 
basically said was, you know, mentally retarded. He and that's literally how he put it. I I, I don't know if that's PC. No, but no, no, no. It's funny. So he put it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he put. And my little brother is like super intelligent. He's in the military. You know, he's like, this is his second term serving for the country. So it's like we just laugh about, you know, what our descriptions were when we first went in, as opposed to how we are now. Um, now, can I can I can I ask if you were taken because of, of drugs? Was that some, something that we're born around too? Yeah. So my mom is um well she's still an addict and she but she's also like schizophrenic and has okay. a lot of health issues. No, um, I, I understand. I was I was thinking of somebody that was schizophrenic. Um, and it's not easy. Yeah. Like you know on them you know and it, it's. Drugs take a toll on schizophrenia on top of that because the brain is already rewired to begin with, let alone what drugs do to the of it. And yeah, it depends on the drugs, depends on what's going to happen. I got an argument with somebody in a Facebook group the other day because I fully support cannabis, right? But I don't fully support cannabis use just if you're schizophrenic. Right. Um, because seeing what happens, someone, somebody, somebody was like, "Oh, you can't come to psych- psychosis from cannabis." This is like, yes, the fuck you can, you can." If you are a schizophrenic and you smoke, you were going to have an episode. So, and they're like, "No, no, girl, girl is just psychotic," and that like pissed off because it was like, "You don't, she should not be dead, but you fucking can call her out Like, you know, you know, didn't like, like yeah. that, that. That hurt, and because there's a different people whether they're schizophrenic and they try to make it into their head. If you're using the alcohol, it's gonna, it's it's gonna numb that those in your your head. That's right. and it's gonna take it away. Yeah, yeah. But if you're you're using an, another kind of substance, it's it's actually going to, to like make worse. It's gonna make, gonna make the voice louder. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna be able to hear anything. Like, cause like I'm not sure about your mom. Is she the type of person that like would drink out her closet to make this like stop? Cause that's what I've seen happen. Is like. She would go into the closet and then, then drink to the voices to stop because that's where it's quiet it's in a small space. She was much more dramatic than that. She just kind of ran with it. like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was more yeah. traumatic to that because your little child doesn't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And my older sister, um, she was about 13 at that time. She and my mom were using together, but she had to, like, we have a complete different relationship with mom because I know her as like the monster that I knew her for. You know, my sister knew her when she could use and still be a mom, functional, you know, not a regular mom, but at least she made sure that we were taken care of. Yeah. yeah. And um, my sister told me that they were using and slowly my mom started getting more paranoid and she would be like, they're following us, that car's following us, we have to go. And my sister was like, who, what are you talking about? And uh, she said the scariest part for her, she was, I think she was about 13 and we were in an apartment and she came home from, I don't know, maybe school, hopefully. Um, And my mom had said, we have to leave. And she was like, what do you mean? Where are we going? And she was like, I have Michael Jackson in that jar over there. And there's underground zombie police that are spying on us. We have to leave now. And I felt it wasn't until I was older that I could really appreciate like how hard that had to have been for my sister, Um, you know, because she's a minor. She doesn't have control over the situation. She's already more of an adult in the house than my mom was. And then to know that now you have to be homeless with three little kids 
and your mom that's on a sick one in full psych psychosis, basically. Um, so they ended up. How's your sister doing now? She's actually clean now. Yeah, it's really cool because growing up she was always using and we were always in and out of each other's lives. And now she's got uh, three beautiful sons and she's been clean for about nine years. Oh, that's awesome. She even found sobriety before you, you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so now how many times did you have like issues that in between if you're trying to find Brie at 17, but I'll find until 24, I feel like you have had to have tried in that seven years at least once, or is it just a full on seven year run that you get the first, first? No. So what would happen was my kids were like the one thing that I could just turn it off for, you know? So my son, it was like, okay, cold Turkey. I have a baby now. Um, didn't realize what kind of family I was marrying into, but they basically, they were very born. They were like born again, Christians, you know, and, uh, white supremacist, which I wasn't aware of because I was loaded for the past four years in this house. Um, and they told me, you know, your baby's going to be born damned to hell, a bastard, like all this stuff. And it just scared me because I'm 17 or 18 at the time. And I'm like, I just want to be a good mom. And um, so we end up getting married. That only lasted a year. I did good for that year. And then when we split up, he would take them on the weekends. And I was like, well, I don't have a kid on the weekends, you know? So then it was like, okay, I could do this on the weekends or I can do this. I was going to school at the time for um, dental assisting. And so I was like managing like, okay, I'm gonna do this before school and I'm gonna do a really great job cleaning teeth and making my little IRMs and then like go be a mom, you know? Um, but there was always a point where it just spiraled out eventually. So I ended up getting pregnant again by someone else. Same thing, turns off, cold turkey, back back to my shit, you know what I mean? Um, but the difference was he was an addict. And so that made it really hard because he was using throughout my entire pregnancy. And it was just really, it was a much different experience trying to stay clean when you're with someone who's absolutely not. Yeah, and who, who who's not trying to stay clean either? It's not only that they're not clean. It's like it sounds, sounds to me like sorry, you can't get it high with me, with me today, and then gets high on you. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, this is unfair. And then then what all that doing to to use is it just just making it so that that when when you can high, you're gonna get fucking high. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're gonna be like, I'm making a lost time. I'm kind of high, high, high. Like, which is a dangerous place to be in. Yeah. Because that can go go from zero hundred and not even do like the baby steps back in to get tolerance back. Do you have any, any overdoses when you start using again into that? Can you repeat that last? Did time? you have any overdoses once you started using again again after that? No. No, but you weren't really into like using because that were going to make you overdose. So so. But I, I was guess that. I was very particular on how and when I used and what I used with who, because that was my fear was like dying and not being able to be there for my kids. Um, okay. Yeah, the only it was I tried to commit suicide when right before I found out I was pregnant with my first son and I took a handful of Xanax, passed out in the bathroom. They had to remove the door, take me to the hospital. But I remember the conversation that I had 
in the bathroom by myself. And I was just like, you know, F you God, like, why did you bring me into this world? Like who, who brings a kid into this world for this kind of life, you know? And I really just wanted to, to die. And, um, I remember the, the last thing I remember before it was like just a full blackout was like, if you're going to keep me in this world, you had better give me a fucking reason, you know? Um, and then when I came back home from the hospital, I had like a routine, like drinking in the morning, snorting pills, and then doing our thing throughout the day. And, uh, I tried to drink and I immediately threw up and I was like, what the fuck? Okay. Give me an oxy. You know what I mean? So then I'm like trying to snort this shit and I just, I keep getting sick to the point where I'm like, why is my body rejecting everything? Okay. I'm going to try drinking again, you know? And then, um, that goes on for a few weeks and I'm finally like, I've slowed down a lot because I'm just like, I don't know what's going on with my body. My stomach hurts. I feel like I'm being stabbed in the stomach. I keep going to the hospital. I'm like, fix me. You know, I have things I need to do today. <laughs> and uh, finally I find out that I'm pregnant. And then that's when I cold turkey for my son. And, uh, but what, ha- what would happen was it would just basically turn into a routine where- That was, I- was the first time you got pregnant. Yeah. Right. When you, right. okay, that makes sense. I'm like, like, these girls know, know if they're like, had birth of time, what it feels like to be pregnant, the next time they're pregnant. Like, like I could have swore I saw on a me once. The girl's like, the girl's like, oh, I'm pregnant. And, you know, they, they just know. <laughs> once you've had, once you've been pregnant, you just know when you're pregnant again. Like, well, that's yeah. just. Attention. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. No, I that's true. Five weeks. Wasn't that like a, three weeks ago? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you're 17, it's a little bit different, especially like, when you're living that kind of lifestyle. Like, so, so when did you leave, like, foster care to, like, just go live in a trap house? So like, I, how, did, how, how do you, you go from foster care to a trap house? So the trap house, it was my two best friends. Um, and it was their, it was, it was, I can't say his name, but it was one of my best friend's grandma's houses. Mm-hmm. And every all the siblings just run amok there, and my foster home they it wasn't like we weren't really on good terms by that point because I was so far gone and just like you're not gonna tell me what the fuck to do at this point. Oh, they didn't want to put up with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like I'm out. <laughs> thought, you know? thought. Was, was your siblings there there with them? No, my siblings were adopted out because they were younger. Yeah, yeah, they um they were adopted out by their biological aunt. So my mom had seven kids and everyone had different dads except for the twins. Um, Which is just two, they're twins. Right, the little ones. Okay, JD, they're the same fucking age. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Like, duh. (laughs) It's been a long day already. So, okay, that makes sense. And and especially, you know, that they're twins, you want to keep them together, you know, Mm -hmm. that, so... But and so you're just you're just nursing around. How many foster siblings did you have? Um, I was in one home primarily, but I would get put into like, uh, you know, when there was issues, I would end up in a a group home or another foster home for emergency. This places. episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere 
is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Get you into work as a tre treatment eventually. So I had three kids and it was like this same pattern where it was like, got pregnant, perfect angel, whole pregnancy, did too good for about, you know, two years or almost two years after. Not that I was doing good. I would be solid for like up until they were a certain age. And then I would figure out a way to reintroduce what I wanted back into my schedule. Mm -hmm. And then it again. So by the third kid, I'm a single mom. I'm raising my little sister. I have my two younger kids, older brother, half the week, every week. And I just like... I wanted to die. I was like, I cannot get pregnant to get my life together again. Like I need to, there's gotta be something. And uh, my best friend, she was like, oh, I got a job at this treatment center and she was a caregiver previously. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Are they hiring? She's like, yeah, we'll start you off at this much. And I was like, oh, sign me up. I was like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, people detox. And I was like, oh, like dieting. It's like a diet place. And she's like, no, like, detoxing from drugs and I was like that sounds cool you know so then I'm like sign me up so <laughs> she ends up getting me a job at a detox um that had they had all levels of care so I would help in the detox but I primarily did their sober livings um for like the IOP level clients that they kept yep and I loved it I was like this is so cool and then I'm taking them to meetings and I'm like this is super fun you know um and so I kind of learned about the different outlets through that, but then I also in a way kind of turned that into my recovery, which I know everyone's like, you can't use your job as recovery, but you know, to each their own, that helped me through a lot, a lot of stuff. And, um, and then it, I, it depends on how, how you're using it in, in my opinion. So like you're not using your, your job. You're just finding new ways to cover through, through things in your job, in my opinion. It's almost like you didn't realize it as that you could do AA. You didn't realize. So, like, not your job didn't create AA. Job created an opportunity for you to learn about it so you could explore it more on your own. Yeah, and I was creating a life that I didn't feel so much that I needed to escape all the time because I was making new friends, and they're clean friends, and then I'm – learning about, you know, things about recovery and I'm getting a sponsor and I'm trying to, I want to be a good role model for these clients because I'm realizing like these people are fucking cool. You know, like you get really attached to the clients that you work with when they're there long-term. And, um, how long have you been doing that then in your, your recovery? You've been, been in recovery now six years. So how long have you been, have you been doing that part of it? My entire recovery. <laughs> okay. So how sober were you, were you when you first got into it? I was very newly sober, and to be honest, I lied, and I was like, I have a year. I was going to say, hey, you need a year now. She told me, she's like, you have to tell them you have at least a year, and I was like, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Yep, exactly. Because you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, but luckily it worked out. I had no idea. I was just like, 
I kind of just winged it. It was like, I pick up, I pick up on things really quick, but then I'm like, okay, I see what's going on here. Like you're kicking hard. I know what you're kicking, you know, like I've been around this my whole life. I already know what's going on. And so it was just applying like, or the room searches. I loved room searches because I would find everything, you know? Oh, oh, I see you're saying. So like when you're searching through the room of contraband. Yeah. <laughs> when you're looking for hiding spots or where they're hiding, and sh- yeah. whether they're storing, whether they're storing cereal or whether they're store, store some meds for, for like, for like they get creative. I think addicts, are most most addicts are some of the most creative people mm-hmm. when it comes comes down to it. And when it comes to when they want to get high, they're gonna do some of the most creative, creative shit to sneak it into rehab or hide it from from you in rehab. Oh yeah, and then it takes that- to find an addict. addict. <laughs> exactly, and that treatment center hired a lot of normies. So I'm oh. like, all-star. They chance. Yeah, but I when they like, the they've got a normie. Refrigerator. Why is there vanilla in the refrigerator? They're like, oh. I was like, why is there whipped cream? I'm like, do you not realize? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because they, it's it's the little things that normies don't know, and that's what ad- addicts manipulate and use just to their advantage. Because at the end of the day, I'm always going to be an addict. And except for now, I'm only more aware of, like, I don't even manipulate somebody or something. And I'm always having because manipulation is a part of life. It's just it's a matter of if you're manipulating to serve yourself or the other person, right. you know, manipulating them to not be serving them but to serve themselves. Then you're just helping them to see things, mm-hmm. not manipulating in a sense that's going to be harmful or hurtful. So it's a matter of listening and paying attention to how you're talking to people. But you can do that when you're high as fuck. Yeah. You, <laughs> Like, I still have to work on, like, am I being a good person right now? Or is I, have, I have to call people. <laughs> you, yeah, Rachel, I got to call people. I'm like, hey, this is what just happened. Am I a bad person? Like, yeah. right now, and, and right now she's listening. She knows exactly who I'm talking about, like, and she watches my, my show, and she knows to call her. And I'm like, hey, like, hey blah, blah, blah. Am I a bad person for this? Because, like, you know, I can I can hear this shit. And she'll be like, no, no, that, that's, that's about over. You're good. good. And, yeah. Because... I don't know. Sometimes I don't. And I'm like, I, I need verification. Um, when you start making and like take TikToks and for recovery. Um, I had wanted to do it for a really long time, and I was just like, oh, I feel stupid. I don't want to do this. Or I'd keep putting it off, and then finally I was like, fuck it. Let's just do this. You know, my background a lot is in uh, marketing, advertising, SEO, Google Analytics, and TikTok is a really great platform for all of those things because it's the number one most used and downloaded, um, yep. you know, so it's, and it's free. So it's free advertising and networking and marketing. So that's kind of what's kept my sober livings. I would say uh, going really well is because I've stayed on top of Facebook, Instagram, whatever's trending. And TikTok was like the one thing that I was like, Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> But then I was like, I don't care. So I just started doing them with my friend. And um, I mean, they did. They It was fun. We just tried to make it fun. Yeah. Were, were there any responses like, in recovery community? Because like, I, I found you was, you know, post and recovery type stuff. Was there, there something like, I wasn't sure if you had any responses from anybody that wants you to keep going or keep keep making them or how long you're making them. Because I like on TikTok for free, like in buy. And it, it was just to do, just to put out clips from my show, 
Right. And and then I wasn't even thinking about like finding people to interview interview there. I was hoping to find people locally at the time. And then I started realizing I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. I'm not in LA anymore where I can't find 500 meet a week. So I can't find that many people to interview in person. But then I was like, oh, people watch TikTok all day long. So there has to, and then, yeah, sure enough, there was videos like you and uh, hundreds of other people on there that are posting recovery content. That's like some of it's comedy, some of it's like funny, but some of it's like serious. Like what, what do you mostly post? Um, I try to do variety, you know, and just if sometimes it's based on like the mood I'm in, you know, because I, I, I'm very transparent with the clients and I tell them, you know, even after six years, there's days where I feel triggered. There's days where I just want to say, fuck it, you know, and um, I, I just I want it. I don't like to sugarcoat things with people, so I'd rather be transparent with what we're showing, you know, that even with six years. And even it, I've talked to people with 20 years, you know, I've seen people go out with 20 years. Yep. So I like the idea of spreading the positivity, but also, and, you know, laughing has always been my number one coping mechanism, but there's also a serious, a side of seriousness to it that needs to be talked about. Um, and yeah, like you had said earlier, I've gotten messages from people or comments and they say, you know, thank you for posting this or there was one girl who had said that her, that my TikToks help her stay sober. And I was just like, what? You yeah. know, it's thing for someone to say. Um, but yeah, we've re- I've received a lot of like support and positivity on there. And that makes Lancer it- Lancer is definitely, yeah, that's definitely like a thing because, because like to the point where I, that's all I'm about is like, I find acceptance to laughter. Like, you know what I mean? I find, I find I accept things a lot easier when I can find, I can find it and laugh at them. No matter how, how yeah. traumatic they are, if I can find a way to laugh at it and I find myself laughing, laughing at it, then I'm accepting of it a lot easier to move, to move on from it. Um, right. Like, I'll just shame plug for my other new, other new show right here, Laugh, Laugh, There's a Drug, period. Okay. Um, and that is a live, live show on a channel like, like on YouTube where we're going to have guests and, and we do stuff where it's telling stories from addiction and it's also going to be doing some sketches where, like, I'm right now, right now I'm writing a sketch where, where it's game, but rehab, the rehab dating. And I'm going to do, ah. do a pre recorded sketch with like a contestant and with contestants and trying to win the date and rehab with this one. This one. Let's also create, and I'm, I'm getting a bunch of create together to do like sketch, sketch and shit. Like, like, kind of a variety show, like SNL, but. Cover cover where we just drop in some sketches or the memes memes of the week or whatever and stuff like that. No, that's so. awesome. There needs to be more of that because it's like in recovery or this whole community, it's you have to be a cer- certain type of person. You have to be an addict and like why we find this so funny. You know what I mean? Like why is Narcanning someone a joke to you right now? And it's like, oh, I guess it's not. You know what I mean? Uh, I I think that also you know we laugh as we relate to. Like if I'm laughing at one of your ridiculous stories you're talking about in an addiction, it's mostly I'm laughing. I think happening to me too, if, if, and I'm and I'm turning in myself in your your shoes. Like especially in a meeting, right? when you're in a meeting and you're, you're laughter, that bunch of people relate to what what you're saying. Yeah, it's they're, the one- la- they're not laughing at you; they're laughing to you in a meeting. Right. And it's just, it's that feeling of acceptance. And I think that 
I think a lot of people turn to drugs and when people turn to drugs and alcohol at a younger age, I really, really believe it's because of a lack of acceptance or identity issues or not feeling like part of, you know what I mean? Um, and that's actually, so I wrote a kid's book that was published last year called The Secret Silly Soda Club. So, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I'll put the link, in, let me see, it. I'll put the link in the bio too. What's it called? It's The Secret Silly Soda Club. It's kind Secret, of cool. Secret Silly Soda Club. Yeah, and it's referencing okay. a is, is it an AA? Yeah. But from a kid's perspective? Right. So That's fucking amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so it's, I love it's about a little girl whose mom has to go to treatment. And then when she comes back, because she drinks too much silly soda, you know, so the silly soda is alcohol. <laughs> she, she goes to a special school, which is rehab. Uh, when she comes home, she doesn't drink silly soda anymore. She has a new best friend she talks to every day, which is her sponsor. Sponsor. And then, you know, the little girl's going to meetings. And at the end, she gets to have birthday cake, which is the mom's one the, year. The one year cake. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, my God. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. That, so, is, that, that is so cool. Because, like, like, well, one, the cake thing, they wouldn't wear. But, like, the cake is not everywhere. <laughs> the cake giving. We, like... When I tell people, like, oh, yeah, that person was going on a cake and, you know, because I have a 29-year chip in my wallet. And oh, wow. it was a hope, it was a chip a dude gave to me because I saw him, I saw him collect four cakes for his 29 years. So I happened to, I was meeting hopping like crazy at the time. Yeah. Um, trying to do 250 and 90. So, like, I was going all over LA. And so I kept seeing this dude. So he gave me this chip. And I was telling somebody, like, hey, he gave me this hope chip. Um, I saw him collecting cakes. And uh, I gave gave him two or four cakes that I saw him. He was like, like cakes? You talking about? About? I'm like, you know, it was his 29th birthday, and we gave him a cake. We're like, like what? No, it's a chip. You you gave him a. I'm like, oh, never mind. I forgot, I forgot where I'm at. Like, you know, it's it, Hutton birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's not like it's not hard for you to follow. I don't understand why you can't follow what we're doing here. Like for there, for there was one meeting though that they we were always, always so broke in inside the meeting that could never do cakes, they would just hold up a big lighter, and that's what you blew out <laughs> was the big lighter, that was over in Marine Marine at Delray, and that was at a late at late night at 11 p.m. I used to go to every night, and yeah, we can't afford the barely afford the rent for that meeting loan loan cakes, <laughs> and that, I don't think there's even really be there there at the time, but <laughs> that was my favorite meeting to go to it was a late meeting like because. You get everybody that's in their 20s that are showing up that are better when meeting. And it's not the re rehab meeting because you go to an PM meeting meeting and it's filled with people that are from treatment centers that are being. Do your clients, do your, your clients call your vase anything particular? Do they what? I'm sorry. Do they call the vans anything particular, either your clients? It, it like, cut out. Like we call it, like the one van was like a, like a defeat limousine. Oh, I call them Advans. Advans. <laughs> I, I knew you had something. Advans or what? What? Druggy buggies. Druggy buggies. Uh, yeah, that, that's a really popular one. Yeah. Dauphine limousine was another one that was here. Advans is a good one. That's 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 a good one. But the, it, I always like we would, would like fucking write the sign dust. Like people would write messages aside, it's like they would get trouble all, all the fun time. But it's it's yeah, 
that happens with a, yeah. a bunch of drug addicts and alcoholics <laughs> and rehab together and get yourself in trouble. Yeah, um, it's been Especially when you go out for a meeting too, and you take mm-hmm. them out to a, to a meeting, and it's like you, and then somebody else, and then fifteen other people that from the treatment center, and you're trying to keep wrangled up, and sitting in the same section, and make make sure they're not holding hands, and it's or like you have to do. <laughs> that's what, that's what I said holding hands because they're, they're in a meeting. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how it is in Pennsylvania, but in L.A. it was a pain. <laughs> no, no, but that's how I got sore. It was in L.A. I, I flew, yeah, I left. I, I was like, I went all the way out there for it, and I stayed, stayed out there. I was I was on the west side the entire time, though. I was in Venice, Venice the entire time. Um, I had a home in Santa Monica um, that, I, that I went to every day at noon. That was 2020s and broad. Um, and then I would marina every, every night at 11. I was in Marina Del Rey. I lived in Culver City, and I would go to go to Highwood Recovery Center every two Tuesday, okay. um, just because the meeting called to see you next Tuesday, and it just puts a smile on my face. Literally, literally, just <laughs> literally saying their name is see you next Tuesday makes me smile. Um, but when I, I went there, it's because I was try, trying to run into Demi Lovato. It was like it was like her home group, and. <laughs> And then I, I get I get the rehab and song comes over comes out. I'm like, oh, not gonna gonna see her at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like two weeks of being in rehab, she put out a song saying I've relapsed. <laughs> but I still went to that meeting because I had other friends that went to that meeting. It was a fun meeting they could go to. But I loved you know going to meetings all around there. There we go meeting hopping. It was a fun time, especially in Venice. My home group was at literally a house that's now an official recovery center called Muck Recovery. But before that, just my friend's friends farted, and she would do tattoos in the front yard, and we would just have and do do lighting that wasn't even books. Yeah, and that would be the best kind of meeting, you know. So it's different varieties that are different everywhere. Where the way they run meetings, and like you said, you've written any books? Was that yeah. your only? Have you written any other books? Um, the other two are supposed to come out this year. Oh, oh so you have other things. Were they other ones for children's too? Or, yeah, or? They're, they're all, it's a series of kids' books. This one touches on addiction. Um, the other one touches on foster care. And the other one is about trauma. But they're in, so it's like the second one coming out is Bobby Bear Goes to Foster Care. Bobby Bear Goes to Foster Care. Yeah, and then uh, the third one, <laughs> Little Llama Learns About Trauma. Little Llama <laughs> Learns About Trauma. Th- those are great names. Like, that, I'm so excited for you. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to have any, any kind of, like, links that you have, like, in the description, okay. whether you're watching or listening, listening. Because if anything, like, that's why I don't like to do research on people I, I talk to, to find this stuff out. But that's cool shit you're doing, I think, out of all of, all of this. Like, it's teaching kids that it's like that they're paid because their parents have problems. Like you said, big thing that that's missing on. It's confusing for for kids to grow up like yourself. Self like these stories that you wish you had yourself, right? Right. Yeah. Growing up, it was like the the closest thing I remember to ever being able to somewhat relate to book wise was a child called it, and I was like, that is so fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And I seriously believe that that's, when I look back on my childhood a lot, I was outcasted for being a foster kid, or I was automatically assumed to be bad because I was a foster kid, or just, I I automatically 
was set aside from the other kids. I would see their parents picking them up or their dad at the father-daughter dance. There was just so many times growing up where I was like, it's me. Something's wrong with me. You know, I'm not getting because because you don't see stories that's about that remind you you then then that means you're 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 no, nobody else is like you and you you must be the weird one because and I'm not on not on TV. I don't see little girls girls like me on TV that have parents that are in addiction. Exactly. So I must be crazy. Like your mom doesn't talk about the Queen of England and have Michael Jackson in a jar. Okay, I'm the problem. <laughs> I think right now, if my my wife's watching, would she, she she's laughing right now? The fact that you just related her to her, to her mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for that. So, but but yeah, that's awesome. That I think that is so important that you're actually you're you're putting out like stories for little kids to like be represented to be represented. Most importantly, like to understand what trauma is to understand. What foster is and what addiction is, like, like these are all like such important things that aren't done. And the fact that, that you're trying to reach that, that audience, all the all the audiences, like that's so fucking cool. Well, I think so. they all tie into each other. I mean, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but I want to say almost all addicts have suffered from some kind of trauma. And kids in foster care, it's between. 40 and 60% for category, I can't remember specifically, but it's like they either end up in jail, homeless, or in addiction. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I I remember growing up, it wasn't things that we talked about. I wasn't allowed to tell someone I was a foster kid because, you know, they don't tell them you're a foster kid, you know, or if I was getting loaded, it was like, oh no, Rachel's just tired. Rachel's just taking a nap at the table. Oh no, her stomach must hurt. She's just in the restroom. She's just having tummy problems. You know, it was always like hush, hush. And I've heard that from so many people. It's a conversation that we haven't been having, you know? And then my generation, it's the opioid epidemic. So it's like, maybe we need to have a fucking conversation. And I'm hoping that through these books in some way or something, it's giving exposure. It's opening a door to conversation and hopefully changing and preparing the next generation. Yeah. I mean, just talking about it, just having it out, out there and giving even more voices to it is what's important. That's exactly what you're, what you're trying to do. I mean, you're putting out content that, that yeah, you're putting fun content on TikTok, but, but you're also putting out content that it's going to be like in libraries and shit that little kids can read and be like, oh, okay. So I can be like Bobby Bear in foster care. Yeah. And this is okay because this happened to have Bobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, definitely keep me updated with that. And okay. congrats on coming out next year's. Thank like, you. I think, think that, and you're doing amazing things. It's so funny how, like, you didn't go go to rehab, but yet you, you work in rehab and you're, you're like, like it, it's it's funny because, like, recovery is based, based on rehab and treat center. But yeah, yeah you, you did go to re- rehab treatment for your recovery. You right. just you got a job and then and it like by proxy it just like worked out that way. We're like like oh this helped me too. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> sober livings. I just I had an opportunity to start one. I started it, filled it immediately, and then I wanted to do another one. And I ha- at that point I had worked in so many treatment centers, detoxes, adolescent facilities. Um, I went to college for a lot of things, and then just my own life skills. And I just kind of like threw it all together and was like, this is our sober living, you know? 
And okay, so uh, you you run two sober, you own two sober livings. I, you own three sober livings. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's amazing, and they're all filled now. Yeah, well, it's been a slow month this month, but it's still. I'm grateful for where we're at right now because I know a lot of other ones are struggling a lot this time of year. Yeah, and on on top of that, like you're you're getting in now. Do do you advertise like where what your your sober living is? I don't get the address. Okay, but... okay, no, not that, not that. I mean, for people people that are looking for sober living. Oh yeah, yeah, they're located in Tarzano, West Hills, and Woodland Hills. Okay, cool. Right. And then this month. Um, I partnered up with this guy and we're, we're having a grand opening with, for a discount liquidation store on February 19th. And we're, the plan with that is to be able to hire my clients so that we can give them jobs and, you know, side work. And what's like Salvation does. What was that? Salvation Army. Yeah. Kind of like that. Like I know a lot of, I know, I know, well, actually people that have been on my show, um, they met at Salvation Army, um, in a rehab and this is an, that's an intense rehab, Salvation Army. Yeah. Um, like guys and girls girl couldn't even conversate with either. They could be, you know, you know kicked out, you know? Yeah. And LA is just like, just don't fuck please. But like <laughs> in Salvation Army, it's a little different. Cause I was, I was in a co-ed sober living too. I was in co-ed rehab, rehab and a co-ed sober living. You know, there, there wasn't any, he trusted us. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't many, there wasn't four of us in my sober living. So it was so like niche with the cannabis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, I forget what I'm saying. Cause I got, I got, <laughs> went off, off on that rant. Um, it, it happens. It's been a day. Either way, I'm, I'm going to cut myself off now because I don't even think, think anymore. <laughs> it's 2 o'clock here. It's You would think it gets 10 o'clock at night for me. It's just been, like, the longest week after, like, I've been, like, bad on injury. But, but yeah, I'm better-ish. It's my, first, my first day without, like, any, like, like, medicine or anything like that. I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah. And also, so I'm not trying to take the set medicine as a, as a injury of said medicine in my body, if you know what I mean. So at the same time, it's just like those uncomfortable feelings of having to go through through withdrawals again. And I didn't didn't even like go for the ride. Right. <laughs> it's even more. It's even worse to go through the, the withdrawals when I didn't even even buy the ticket for the ride. You're like it's this not, is like fun. <laughs> I know. Like I didn't even get high at all. Like I I just like took a medicine as prescribed, and now I have to go through fucking withdrawals. Like this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to feel this way. I should, I should have to go through that too. Your dedication still doing this. I probably wouldn't have been like, no free schedule. <laughs> no, no, it's just fine. It's just, just I, I, I can, can still push through. I mean, I sit for a bit. I've been doing all day long, long. So, but, but I love what you're doing. Uh, I, the fact that you're, you're yeah, sober livings. You're, you're writing kids books. Like you're trying to like liquidating. Oh, that, that's what it was. They, they at, at salvation. Yes. See? They met. Has, I haven't been like all week. They met Salvation Army working the Salvation Army, and they they gave them jobs working like the he like like closing shit like for right. them that were donated, and they worked for them doing all sifting through donations and all that kind of shit. It was like it reminds me of Roll World. The throw throw into a house and then you work at the shop underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my dad actually went through the Salvation Army. I think like two years ago. And uh, I mean, it was good for him. He didn't stay clean, but it was yeah. 
was very structured, very, very structured. Have you have you heard about the because you know it's not really as popular here on the East East Coast, but I heard about it a lot, lot in recovery over there when, when I lived in LA was was the um where they came into your house in the middle of the night and they would kidnap you and put you you in nature. Oh, I heard about that. I think it was Kat Von D. Something like that, like somewhere in Nevada, like some kind of comp comp like out of Utah. Utah. Yeah, and wilderness, it was wilderness center, and they would come near her. Parents would set it up. They would come come in the house, and they take from your room, throw you into this van, and take you to the wilderness for for a couple months, shit bag. And do you imagine going through detox like in fucking woods, and how traumatic that would be to, no. to put some like. And they wonder why their numbers are so low, and they just the addicts like, well, addicts, what did you expect? Was it worth a shot? It's like, like, damn, they know how to tie a proper knot now. Why are they not fixed? <laughs> <laughs> just we're fucking addicts. Just treat us like people. Yeah. Give us a bed. Give us three meals. We don't want to shit into a bag. Yeah. If I want to shit into a bag as an addict, that means bag is like a street. No, <laughs> like, with toilet water, but I'm not shitting in a bag. <laughs> Oh man! Well, thank you again, Rachel, for sitting down. Sorry for, for miscommunication this morning, but oh, no. it, was, it, was, it was really nice getting to you though. And I loved finding that about books. I, I think one of the, the coolest shit I've heard in a long time that we're doing. Like it's something that's not enough is for kids that are confused right now. So I, that's fucking awesome. Thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you for having Have, me. No problem. Have a great day. You too. All right, bye-bye, bye.